This is Dr. Daniel Van Ingen with this week's Parenting Podcast. For this podcast, we're going to play a pre-recorded session from my Dr. Van Ingen Clinical Psychology and Parenting Show, where I interviewed Ariel Faulkner, a national renowned nutritionist. And we're going to focus in on nutrition for female adolescent athletes. So if your daughter, if you have a daughter, she's an athlete, this is the show to listen to. We're going to focus in on nutrition for your athlete. So we say, don't scare your amygdala. Right? Here we go. This is Dr. Daniel Vanning, and welcome to the Dr. Vanning and Clinical Psychology and Parenting Show. I'm excited to announce that I have a fantastic guest here today. Her name is Ariel, Ariel Faulkner. Uh, Ariel Faulkner is a registered dietitian. Uh, she has a specialty certification in obesity and weight management. She's a wellness coach. She has worked with people all over the nation. Uh, Ariel graduated from Westchester University outside of Philadelphia. Uh, she did a dietetic uh, internship at the University of Delaware. She has a private practice in uh, Build, Balance, Thrive. Did I get that right, Ariel? Yes. <laughs> she specializes in weight management, sports nutrition, children's nutrition, disease prevention, immune health, and GI disorders. Um, so we're really excited. For the last 20 years, Ariel has empowered clients to master their self-discovery in these areas. Um, and she is passionate about dispelling information around nutrition for training, weight management, GI health, and wellness. So Ariel, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Sorry about that noise in the background. Those are my cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so we want to think differently about nutrition. And I'm here to learn from you. And the nation, our audience, and especially Sarasota County, we want to learn from you. You have so much to offer. So uh, especially as we're going to talk um, with a particular emphasis on teenage athletes, female athletes, which sometimes... You know, you have a lot of knowledge in this area. So first, can we just talk about nutrition? Let's start with some obvious myths about female nutrition. What stands out? Okay, well, uh, as, as far as females, females in particular, in regards to nutrition, I think that the current, um, the current fears around food, specifically regarding adequate carbohydrate consumption because of the resurgence of the low carb and ketogenic diets. I see that one as one of the biggest issues specifically among females and female athletes, not adequately fueling. Um, that's one area. And the other area just in nutrition overall is this tendency for us to be very reductionistic in regards to our approach. So unfortunately, the industry is, it really thrives on simple solutions, quick fixes, and basically everybody else has this easy solution or answer to your problem. And the bottom line is that people are, 
incredibly unique in regards to their physiological needs with nutrition as well as their relationship to food. And so there really is no one right diet. And I think that's one of the biggest areas that where people are kind of always looking for that magic diet. One of the reasons my company name is Build, Balance, Thrive is because in general, people do thrive within an overall context of balance within their nutrition. So these extremes and these ideologies that we have attached to, I think one of the biggest issues in nutrition um, in the present day is that nutrition has become a religion. And so people are actually attaching to dogma and beliefs around nutrition that are not based on science and actually have nothing to do with what's optimal for health and wellness for the human body. And I think that's the most frustrating thing is the reductionistic view, the simplification of nutrition, and this attachment to these extreme beliefs without the, you know, looking at things holistically and applying critical thinking. So what do girls need? Girls, well, for one thing, they need calories. <laughs> and uh, the, the latest research showed that about 48% of female athletes are chronically underfueled, meaning they're not consuming adequate calories. And well, there's a lot of issues in this area, especially for girls that are developing in, in puberty. Because if you're not giving the body adequate nutrition to support your training, not only will you not improve your performance, but your reproductive function can shut down and be permanently affected by inadequate energy availability. So energy availability or calorie availability because of the pressure on females to look a certain way is probably the number one issue with female athletes. Okay. Now, is, is it important to count protein grams? Yeah, protein is absolutely essential. So along with needing adequate nutrition, then women absolutely need adequate protein. And typically, you know, the recommendation is about 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram of body weight a day. So to simplify that for us Americans, it's basically for female athletes, I always encourage my females to get about 0.7 to one gram of protein per pound of body weight a day. And it's really important for that protein to be spread evenly throughout the day to support lean body mass, metabolism, blood sugar, recovery, and immunity. Okay, wow. So you have parents out there who, um, whose daughters may be runners or in my case, soccer players, um, track athletes, basketball players and so they're making their breakfast in the morning and if you have three eggs which they don't likely eat three eggs but if you <laughs> that'd be great if they did <laughs> so two eggs would give you 12 grams of protein yeah and then you throw in a chicken tenderloin for lunch and that might be depending on the size 25 grams mm -hmm. and uh if you throw in a protein bar that has 10 grams so is it helpful for teenage athletes to be counting the grams of protein? Is it more helpful to get overall calories? Like, how do they know that they're getting enough? We're packing enough food in their breakfast, lunch, snacks. Yeah, yeah. Well, typically how I work with, especially younger people and younger athletes, I don't deal with calories because I don't think it's a healthy model for okay. people to be focusing on. Yeah. What I look at is more so portions. So when I 
it's I can't give you specifics because it's like I said, it's very individual in regards to what specifically their needs are. But yeah. if they are consuming, if typically a young athlete is going to need three balanced meals and two to three snacks a day. And if they're doing, a, you know, two a days or intense training, they might even need intra workout carbohydrate or support specifically pre and post workout. But when we're looking at food consumed at each meal, it's really, it's really a balanced plate. And it's like a quarter of the plate is protein, a quarter of the plate is quality carb, half the plate is vegetable, then you have a healthy fat. And then with athletes, you know, the portions can be bigger, it just depends on the sport and their energy needs. But the, one of the most important things I do want to bring up, though, is because this is one of the the trends I see in young female athletes is a lot of them don't fuel during the day. They skip breakfast. They might okay. grab something light. They eat yeah. like lunch. And what I call it, well, that affects what we call within day energy balance. And what I mean by that is not only is it important for women to consume adequate calories, but if they go too long during the day without consuming adequate fuel, even if that I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example. If you have two groups of women and one group consumes 2000 calories, but they consume a majority of that energy later in the day and not around training. And the other group consumes 2000 calories, but they're appropriately, uh, you know, taking in that energy pre and post workout. And it's evenly distributed throughout the day. Okay. Their brain is sensing that they are safe. But when you have a huge deficit within the day, even at the same calorie intake, you tell the brain food is not available. And that's when you start to shut down your reproductive system and you have, you know, poor recovery, poor immune function, fatigue, brain fog, all of these things kind of go out of whack, even though they're consuming adequate calories. So it's not just total energy intake that matters, but it's also how that energy is distributed. Okay. And I see, so, so the whole idea, for instance, behind fasted training and women doing intermittent fasting or getting up and trying to go for a long run or hit CrossFit and then not eating until noon is probably about the worst thing a woman can do for her health. Okay. So I've got this little spray bottle for the cats that come they like to come and be affectionate with dad but i'm at my home office this is a professional interview and this is the deterrence unfortunately um is sugar ever become this deterrent for for to where now it's avoided at all costs they avoid the dessert table and what do you think about that like is there a balance to yeah, absolutely life absolutely. can they have is- ice cream and dessert Absolutely. I like to follow kind of like an 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of the diet should be mostly whole foods and then 20%. I think I remember reading somewhere that you really were an ice cream fan. <laughs> Wondering if that's where that came from. But yeah, I though you know, one of the one of the travesties is seeing these young women who are put, you know, putting out all this energy. And then being so restrictive with what they're eating and then not even giving themselves the freedom and nourishment of having a little bit of ice cream in the evening when they can easily yeah. have that with their activity level. So I I reached a place in my personal life where I totally burned out about two and a half years ago. And I had to make some radical changes to change my life. And I had literally eaten ice cream every day for 25 years. <laughs> so wow. much so that I uh climbed the great wall of china and i still had to find a magnum ice cream bar at the local shop somehow the the joy and the dopamine rush of 
climbing the great wall wasn't enough. Wow. I still had to get the ice cream. So it's, so in my own life, I'm making that personal choice and I have friends that say balance, come on, don't, but that's just me. My it's cause it represents the old dad. And so that's a decision I'm making, but generally speaking, we want to encourage wholeness and balance and teenage athletes can eat ice cream and sugar, right? Yes, yes, yes. And <laughs> now, like I said, I was, go ahead, go ahead. Um, so when, when we were talking about this interview, uh, one of the things you made this really interesting comment, you said, girls, women are not just small men. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So majority of the research that's been done in sports nutrition has been done on men. And women are very unique in their needs in regards to energy. Of course, we need less calories. But the other thing is also what we need specifically to support our hormones, metabolism, and body composition. And as far as like my macronutrients, we do need adequate carbs. We need adequate protein, but women actually are excellent fat burners. And so we actually do better on a little bit more fat and a little, now I'm not saying no carb or low carb. I'm just saying a little more fat than carb in comparison to male athletes, because we preferentially burn fat at rest as well as during exercise. And this is also why when females don't consume adequate healthy fats, again, you have a downregulation of hormones, you have a shutdown of the reproduction, and you have all kinds, then, you know, it's basically a cascade of events that go on, including, you know, impaired uh, immunity, increased inflammation. So skin issues, I mean, there's, Again, balance is key, but yeah. female athletes do, if they're, I tend to see either a restriction of fat or restriction of carbs, or if they're down the vegan or vegetarian route, they're not eating enough high quality protein, which then also impairs recovery and bone health and lean body mass. What are the top five, would you say, right off the top of my head, I'm thinking avocado, olive oil, what are some of the other key fats? that you would recommend for female athletes? Number one is going to be your omega-3s because they certainly don't have enough omega-3s. So we're talking, you know, flaxseed oil, fish, like salmon, chia seeds. uh, It's really preferential to get it from your preformed omega-3 of DHA and EPA, which is primarily found in fatty fish and seafood. But you can get omega-3 in things like hemp seed, chia seed, flax oil, and chia seed actually has been shown clinically to increase the omega-3 fatty acid levels in the blood, which is really interesting. And chia seeds are a wonderful super, well, I should probably not say superfood because then again, that's not necessarily um, a good term, but either way, chia seeds are an excellent source of omega-3. So omega-3s would be number one, I would say, and then it would be, you know, your healthy fats from, believe it or not, so here's another great misconception since we're going into the healthy fats is dairy products. So full fat dairy products are actually very helpful for not only maintaining lean mass, increasing uh, 
increasing uh, energy expenditure and fat oxidation because low calcium levels actually impede fat oxidation, as well as improving bone mineral metabolism, body composition, and arresting metabolism. And the fats in dairy they've shown clinically in studies that these fats, despite being saturated, actually reduce inflammation in the body. And in one of the largest studies on fertility out of Harvard showed that two to three servings of full fat dairy a day was incredibly supportive of healthy reproductive function. Now, they did not see this with low-fat dairy products. So there's something about the fats in dairy that just support healthy reproductive function in women, as well as bone mineral metabolism. So that would be another one. And you have your nuts and seeds, your olive oil, coconut, um, those are all good fats. The fats, they're really the only fats that you want to avoid are going to be your palm oils, your hydrogenated oils, and your highly refined and processed fats. Okay. Now, what are the key latest evidence-based science that we know when looking at male? So how are male athletes different than female athletes, Ariel? As, as far as in regards to fueling? In yeah. regards to fueling male athletes, they, they just, it's like an entirely different physiology. So for one, okay. they don't have to change their training and nutrition throughout the, throughout the cycle because they don't have a menstrual cycle. So day one of the month and day 30 of the month are exactly the same for a male athlete or halfway through the month, the end of the month, no matter what, they are the same. They oxidize carbohydrates much better than females do, rely on carbohydrates during training much more than females do, and can store much more glycogen. So one of the biggest differences would definitely be carbohydrate metabolism. Um, and they aren't as sensitive to within-day energy balance, although we are seeing more male athletes with relative energy deficiency in sport because, again, of that emphasis on body image. Okay. Um, but their reproductive effects of that are they the male athletes are just more resilient all around in regards to maintaining reproductive function and a lack of energy. Males also can do better, despite the fact that they metabolize carbohydrates better than women do, males can do better on a lower carb, higher fat, more protein-based approach because of their physiology. So there's hydration differences, there's micronutrient dif differences, but I would say the female athlete is just more fragile in a lot of ways and just has to be more specific and particular in regards to nutrition and training throughout the cycle. And this is, this is okay, so can you, cute. Can we slow you down? Cause you're super smart. When you say more fragile, boom, my daughter's like, no, I can kick a 50 yard field goal. So <laughs> you're not talking about. No. Okay. I don't mean, oh gosh, I didn't mean fragile in like a physical sense. I meant fragile in like a hormonal in a reproductive sense in regards to their body's ability to be resilient with a lack of macro and micronutrition. So at the physiological I mean. level, mm -hmm. and what would that mean in terms of that nutrition? Well, that would mean, and this is where females, and there's actually some new apps now because of this research, females can download. One is called Fitter You. Okay. And it's for females. And what it does is you actually, re females require different styles of training and nutrition throughout the menstrual cycle. So to give you a little snapshot of this, Dan, basically yeah. the first half of a cycle is the follicular phase, right? So that is where women 
are actually feeling really strong. They're more like men in their physiology in that phase because it's a lower hormone phase and they can oxidize and pull from carbohydrate stores easily. They have high performance. But then once you cross over into that luteal phase, women are more dependent on fat than carbohydrate and have difficulty tapping into that carbohydrate to hit those high ends. So when is this like during the month? So the first half of the phase is the follicular and the second half of the cycle is the luteal. So it's just the last two weeks before they start their period is the luteal phase. Okay. So the last two weeks before the period, they, they, when they have higher performance. No, they have lower performance because of an inability to tap into those carbohydrate stores they wait the way they can in the follicular phase. So in the luteal phase, it's actually really important if they're doing high intensity training to be fueling with a little additional carbohydrate around that training session. I'm not talking about anything crazy. I'm talking about a banana. I mean, that's about as simple as it is, but that little bit of extra carb around training for women to support if they're in high intensity training is going to make a world of difference in their performance in the, but in the follicular phase, because their hormone profile is more like a man's, they don't have that trouble with performance. Okay. So it's the gluteal phase where they need extra carbs because they're not tapping into those carbohydrates. Right. The luteal phase. Yep. Yeah. Luteal. Okay. The luteal. And on top of that, in the luteal phase, the reason women tend to crave chocolate and have like a bigger appetite, specifically about five to seven days leading up to their period, is because their resting metabolism is actually 150 to 300 calories higher during that phase. So that's another reason why it's also really important for women to be tuning into their bodies and paying attention because if they're feeling that extra, you know, this is when you know you hear the classic craving for chocolate or extra energy. It's it's because the body is burning more calories. So it's important to honor that and do it in a specific way. So this is so interesting as sports dad uh-huh. I'm really learning a lot here. Good, good. Thank you so much. So the, so you're saying that that cravings five to seven days before the period, yes. they have a resting metabolism that's 150 calories higher. So they are at going least, to, they need to eat more. Yes, at least 100 calories. At least, think. okay. Yeah, yeah. 150 to 300 calories depending on the female. Okay. So, uh, so you've pointed out some differences between male athletes and female male athletes are the same from day one to same third day 30. Mm -hmm. So it takes a unique set of understandings when it comes to female athletes. What do you think for parents out there? uh, What is most important for them to understand about young women and girls and what they need for nutrition? You know, I think that from, from what I see is, um, I, I think it's really important that they're asking their daughters about their nutrition and making sure they are kind of paying attention to their fueling. They're having breakfast with their kids. They're making sure they're packing healthy lunches. I mean, the, like I said, in the beginning of our talk, it's, on top of the pressure of body image, the fact that almost 50% of female athletes are not eating enough calories to support training. I mean, that 
that's huge. And Mm -hmm. it's a huge problem. And I think the reason that happens is because a lot of parents don't understand the requirements themselves. And also maybe they're just not really paying much attention to what their teenagers are eating. Because, you know, most teens at that point, they're kind of fending for themselves in regards to their nutrition intake. And, you know, unfortunately, Dan, the other thing is that only about 23% of households cook anymore. And so you have parents who are really not sitting down for meals with their kids. And so they're really not seeing what they are or are not eating. And Mm -hmm. I mean, with the prevalence of disordered eating, lack of nutrition with female athletes, and then this pressure of body image, you can see how you've got this perfect storm, right? Yeah. inadequate nutrition and you know the irony is though dan is that when women do not fuel adequately they actually end up with a higher body fat percentage and a lower mean body mass than women who eat adequately so they did a really interesting study and found um this was on rhythmic gymnasts um it was track athletes rhythmic gymnasts and distance athletes and what they found was the women with the largest energy deficit throughout the day had the highest body fat percentage and the lowest performance so you can see how exactly what women are trying to achieve by restricting they're actually creating the exact problem they're trying to achieve okay yeah now ariel one of the things you you focus a lot in social media that nutrition is a science with foundational principles. Yes. Eat mostly whole foods, eat lean protein, eat lots of fruits and veggies, focus on healthy fats. Sounds like sound principles that have gone generations and generations. Yes, yes, yeah. Can you talk about some of the problems with experts promoting the perfect diet? Oh yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's pretty clear from the literature that there is literally no perfect diet. And there is, as far as like, this is the other thing, Dan, is people don't realize that nutrition is actually a very young science. And so that's why it can be very confusing and conflicting because they do one study and it says one thing and then they come out and say, oh, no, like, you know, the eggs have gone back and forth like that. Like, eat eggs. Oh, no, don't eat eggs. But in regards to there not being one perfect diet, if we just step back and look at this and we think critically, you look at the different populations around the world and how much our diets change depending on our heritage, our lineage, our environment, our traditions, our ancestry. And in all traditional indigenous populations that have been studied, they had a variety of diets, Every, any, everything from like the Eskimos, which ate a very high fat, low carbohydrate diet to the Asians that ate a very, very high carbohydrate, low fat diet. And what they saw across the board was that there was no magic macronutrient ratio. And the foundation of what it came down to was people consuming local mostly whole foods, animal products that were indigenous to the area, you know, roots, tubers, starches that they could forage in that area. And, you know, we had a lot of traditional foods. And the the problem with our modern diet is not carbs, fats, or proteins. It's the fact that we're not eating real food anymore. Our food is so processed. Over 70% of the average child's calories comes from ultra-processed foods. And we are not going to fix this by doing, oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, we're... <laughs> 
wrist. Oh, they're like the devil. Um, but they're not talking about keto or no. or Mediterranean. I mean, they hear words like grain brain and no, no, no. <laughs> so first, you know, I I mean, we could do an entire show just like breaking down what's wrong with every one of those fun. paradigms. It yeah. would be fun. But um, you know, I heard this one researcher who I respect a lot, and he talked about how it's so it's baby talk when people start trying to again make nutrition a religion and say that everybody has to fall into this one category. It's a very infantile way of looking at nutrition. And the bottom line is that you know, I, and the other thing that that doesn't take into account is what about what about your preferences? What about your you know, feelings about how you respond to different foods and what works for your body. Where's the personal power in me telling you what you have to eat based on what works for me? How does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this this whole process is is about giving people the foundation because there are foundational principles, which you mentioned in the beginning, but all of these extreme approaches, most of the time, only lead to ill health in the long-term outcome. And the, the bottom line is our bodies are incredibly adaptable. And so we, as long as we have some core principles in place, our body will pretty much adapt to whatever we give it. So <clears throat> I'm in my 40s. I talk with my friends about these kinds of terms and diets over the last 10 years remember the fat-free diet the 90s you could eat as many fig food newtons as you wanted because it said fat free but (laughs) how much are these diets impacting your typical female athlete adolescent female athlete well i think they're creating a lot of fear and phobias around food and it's interesting you say that because i think the biggest issue right now with female athletes is it's it's funny dan you said that because i grew up in those those days when it was low fat, fat free. And I was a young female athlete that was afraid to eat butter, but would eat a bag of fat free pretzels because you know, that was the trend then. And I didn't know any better when I was 14, 15 years old. And these days the pendulum has swung and now carbs are the bad guy because we like to demonize something. It's like, we can't just have balance in for some reason, people have to demonize something. Right. And so now it's carbs. And so I think that's the biggest issue now with female athletes is seeing this restriction of carbs and all of these low carb keto paleo approaches that do not support female physiology or performance. So if I may just ask a side question regarding carbs. Yeah, sure. Before the track meet tomorrow, before the cross country meet, when I was in high school, we had pasta dinners as a, as a team. Is that still the same? And uh, along with that, what are the key most important carbs for athletes? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things around that. No, I'm not one for like sitting down to a massive plate of pasta in the night before a game, because like I alluded to earlier in the conversation, females don't store glycogen like male athletes do. So adequate carbs is great, a balanced plate, but the idea that they need to sit down to a big bowl of pasta the night before a game is a myth. Um, so no, I would not be a proponent of that. Um, what I, what I look at as far as the best carbs, you're talking about basically your whole food, microbial accessible carbohydrates or what we call MAC carbs. Okay. And these are the carbs that people aren't really eating, but these are the most important carbs. These are potatoes, 
sweet potatoes, root vegetables, all of your starchy vegetables that you can pull from the ground are so rich. They're brimming with potassium, micronutrients, prebiotic fibers, and the right kind of carbon. So Dan, do you know why I call it a microbial accessible carbohydrate? Because these carbs are the ones that feed the beneficial bacteria in the gut. And so okay. what you see- The good bacteria. Okay. Well, the good bacteria, exactly. And so you have, there's a huge difference. A carb is not a carb. So eating a bagel does not provide you the same benefits as eating a sweet potato or a whole potato because they do not, you know, they do not support not only healthy glucose metabolism, but they don't support the microbiome. Okay. So it's the starchy vegetables. Right. Starchy vegetables, tubers, potatoes, sweet potatoes. Oh, and oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to leave out. Unrefined whole grains are also very important. So yes, oh, it's funny. You said the grain brain thing. Yeah, that guy is full of pseudoscience. There's literally no, no. So what kind of breads fall in that category? So I like to typically look at like the, as far as store-bought breads, you're looking at like breads like Ezekiel bread. Um, we actually have a place in town that does an amazing multi-grain, whole grain bread. It's at the German bakery next to Simon's. What about um, the sourdough bread at Publix? Sourdoughs are wonderful. I haven't had Publix sourdough, but typically what I do is just look at the label and make sure that it's fully fermented. Okay. Have additives. Um, but sourdough is, is absolutely good, you know, because that's a fermented food. So we didn't talk about those yet, but. Yes, that would be the bread of choice, not Wonder Bread or these white, you know, refined. <laughs> Wonder yeah. Bread isn't even a food. <laughs> okay, so you talked about hydration earlier. Can you talk more about that? And is we talked a little bit about balance with sugar intake, but what about like Gatorade, which has been um, sort of said, de has been demonized. Um, what about drinks like um, a, a local club academy that my sons are a part of? They, they recommend putting salt in water. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit more about how to hydrate besides the obvious yeah. drinking water? I yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as the baseline is concerned, about half your body weight in ounces a day is going to be your water, your hydration requirement. And then in regards to training, there is a calculation to figure out exactly how much hydration you need to support during training. But as far as Gatorade and things that have added sugar to consume during training, I am not a fan of, even for longer games, you can make your own kind of electrolyte drink without mm -hmm. all the extra sugar and colors and additives that Gatorade has. I'm not at all a proponent of Gatorade. Um, so in regards to hydration, I love that. Like putting a pinch of salt in water, you make your own electrolyte solution. Yeah. And there are some recipes like through the workshop that I'm doing um, that you can make your own you know, electrolyte drinks. And again, the carbs in Gatorade are just too high for what a female athlete needs to support her training. So I'm a big cognitive therapist in my private practice, Ariel. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is trying to help uh, clients overcome negative beliefs. Okay. 
okay. the negative outlook on themselves. And I know that, um, you know, some of those diets, they promote negative beliefs. Mm-hmm. What would you say, or I know that there's so much pressure, right, mm-hmm. towards body image for young female athletes. What do you, as you think about, um, you know, as we come to a close here, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the key positive beliefs we want our young female athletes to hold? And what are some of those things that they have to overcome with regards to body image, performance excellence, um, not, you know, trying to be excellent, but not perfect, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to see nutrition as positive fueling their bodies and not, um, what would you, how, how do you think about that? And what are some of the key negative beliefs that they have to overcome and change? Well, I think one of the key negative beliefs is just the, you know, the lack of energy intake, the not feeling like they deserve to consume adequate food, not nourishing their bodies out of a fear of weight gain or not looking a certain way. And so reframing that is, I mean, it's really challenging for a teenager because in this world of social media and perfect images, um, I think something that I would say would be really making it clear to young women and female athletes that the images they are comparing themselves to are not reality. Mm -hmm. And the women they think that they're striving to look like that they are seeing on social media, a majority of them are have eating disorders or are restricting to such an extent that they take those pictures at a time when they're in top condition and then they go back to their normal life. Yeah. And so like de- for, like dehydrate dehydrate oh, themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And they they specifically get ready for those pictures that those are only what they post on social media, but that's not what they are like year round. I mean, even professional athletes periodize their nutrition and training throughout the season. So when they're in a phase, they are fueling in a certain way in order to achieve a specific goal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say for flipping that is, I mean, you'd be better at flipping that than I would. I know how to flip the nutrition aspect of it, but the mental aspect of it, I really think follows adequate nutrition because believe it or not, our thoughts about our body and our body dysmorphia and our criticism of our shape and our body gets worse with lower calorie intakes. So that's Mm -hmm. what the irony is, which then just, it really only pushes people deeper into that hole. And when you start getting women to respect their bodies and fuel adequately, you also change the way they see themselves and they start to see themselves as more than just a physical body. Yeah. Oh, and I also think, Dan, you know, before I I forget this note is when a woman experiences too what it feels like to perform and train with adequate nutrition, that feeling is so incredible that then they start to think, why was I hurting myself or why, why didn't I do this before? Like, because, you know, they get done training and they actually are recovered and they feel amazing and they have energy. And then believe it or not, the irony is their body responds better. They look better and everything falls into place. Yeah. And I'm a huge proponent that people change. And when they become aware that, wow, fueling my body feels so much better. My performance is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. I, I think that people only really change when they go through the experience of it. Right. And mm-hmm. so I can say 
eat enough. I can give somebody their specific recommendations, their calorie needs, all of that until I'm blue in the face. But until somebody actually carries it out and feels the difference, I think that's when they believe it. Ariel Faulkner, you are making such a difference for people. Thank you so much um, for this interview. This was fantastic. Just great information. Um, again, I'd like to thank Ariel for her time today. Um, as Ariel mentioned, her website, or maybe I mentioned it, her website is build, balance, thrive, build slash balance slash thrive.com if you want to learn more. Ariel, thank you so much for being here today. This is great. Yeah, thank you, Dan.